they can hear Hamas going all around them. They have gunshots hitting the ground and puffs coming up around them. And Mia is is between um, Shania's legs. And, you know, at one point, at one point, Shania thinks she's been shot. And she says, I think I've just got shot. You know, and she kind of whispers to her friend, Mia, and says, I've been shot. And Mia says, you haven't been shot. It's a thorn. And there was a thorn. Basically, she got a thorn, like, in her backside. And, like, these thorns, as I said, were two, three inches long. like getting shot. One of the things that they all did as well was that they... They had they had a fear that if they had their location responders on on their phones, that Hamas might have access to that, that Hamas had access to WhatsApp and that maybe they could be geolocated. So they turned off their phones. Hey. Hello, my name is Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phil McAleer. Welcome to the Anne and Phil and Scoop. Yes, uh, welcome indeed. We're back in, in the, California, in the United States of America, just back from Israel a country that has a lot of healing to do. We've spent two or three weeks there. Um, and it's also a country that is united, uh, united in its opposition to Hamas, but also united in its disdain for the country of our birth, Ireland, as we find. They really um, have it in for Ireland. And is it, we'll, we'll check if it's justified. And talking of Ireland, one of the leading journalists, one of Ireland's leading journalists, boasts about keeping facts from the public quote, for their own good, close quotes. We look at how Ireland is the prime example of how, you know, they go from, mis- you know, we've got to stop misinformation and disinformation and it quickly degenerates into withholding information for our own good. And COP28, some good news that the president of COP28 says it's all basically nonsense. Um, and does Joe Biden agree? And Disney film. What's happening with Disney? Actually, you won't want to miss. You won't want to miss that one with the president of COP twenty eight. It's 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 real fun. Disney, yeah. So the, their hundredth year was one of their worst yet, uh, as the Great Awakening causes its major crisis. Um, they may have finally noticed that if you go woke, you go broke. Uh, but will the media allow them to fix the problem? We look at how they worked out what the problem is, and c- can they really solve it? Because um, the, the the elites do not like to be told what to do. And a movie that Disney would definitely not be interested in uh, is is coming out soon. In fact, will be out by the time you see this. We're talking to director Brock he- Heasley about his new movie, The Shift, which is produced by the same studio that had huge success with The Chosen. So uh, you won't want to miss that interview. You won't want to miss the movie, The Shift. You know, but I suppose we're starting today talking about, you know, we're back from Israel and still trying to recover. We had a very, very long flight on Friday. Um, 22 hours, in fact, in of travel, mm. you know, because we went through London and had yes. six hours sitting in London before we got on the flight for tw- mm-hmm. for another 11 hours to Los Angeles. But it's really, really good to be back. But um, and it was extraordinary because on Friday, you know, that we had all, you know, for most of the time that we'd been away, almost all of the time that we were in Israel, there was a ceasefire. Um, and then on Friday morning, actually, as we're at the airport, we find that the ceasefire has, has been, you know, broken because of the, the actions of Hamas. And... Um, you know that was that was happening, and everyone was kind of watching, you know, the news screens across the airport. And then when we're checking in to the El Al flight, um, one of the, the the flight attendant or whatever the airline attendant, uh, airline representative, that was checking us in said, "Oh, Ireland," and and that was I, I started to notice in in Israel that when anyone noticed that we were from Ireland yeah, well, or Irish, of, they did this. They all did this. Let's they went, put it in context. Went, went, Normally, over all over the world, when you when when you say I'm from Ireland, they go, "Oh, Ireland, I love Ireland. Oh, the green grass. Oh, I have to go there. Oh, it's on my bucket list. Oh, oh, oh. I love the music. Yes, or I love you too, or Enya, or whatever it is. You saying you were Irish was always a passport to a kind of somebody would say something positive you not in Israel so tell, no, tell we'd us had, about uh, that lady that lovely lady at the El Al because yeah. last week I had the story of the hairdressing salon and then this week you know we're leaving and, and we say and she and she does the thing of Ireland and she does the, the, the flip back of her head I was supposed to go there and uh, I was meant to go there she said I was supposed to and we're like oh God tell us more and she said well I was meant to be doing my masters in biochemistry at UCD the United University of College, University College Dublin and uh, but I'm not going now because they don't like us so. um, you know and uh, you know it was almost like she didn't even need to tell us what the reason why she's not going now but um, it was it, it, it certainly was it certainly was a new moment I, I, I actually said I was sorry I apologised first time in my life that I've ever apologised for being we should, Irish we should put it in context I mean, the Irish Prime Minister uh, 
there was an Irish girl kidnapped. Irish is really girl. Emily kidnapped. Hand. Emily Hand. And uh, when she was released from Ham- by Hamas, right? So she was kidnapped. After 50 after days. Her, her stepmother was killed, was murdered. Then she was kidnapped after 57 days and she was released. Um, the Irish Prime Minister tweeted that she has been lost and was now found. No mention of a violent kidnapping. Uh, also, Ireland has been at the forefront of... They won. You know, there was a motion in Parliament which was just about defeated, recalling the Israeli ambassador after Israel was attacked. Um, basically, there was a gig for Gaza. That's right, a gig for Gaza where Ireland's top musicians uh, did a gig in the biggest venue in Ireland and packed it out, uh, raising money for Gaza. For Gaza civilians or Gaza, who knows, raising, just raising money for something anti-Israeli. So, that's what uh, that's the context to this woman going and to the people in, in your hairdresser and just gathering around you and saying how appalled they are at Ireland now. And this lady is going, I, I was supposed to go there in November to do a master's in was it micro Bio, in biochemistry, biochemistry. And it's like, but they don't like it. They, they don't like us there, she said. And it's like, like. Your country, any country needs people to go and do masters in biochemistry. And this is, but Ireland doesn't seem to care. And uh, it's got a reputation now that uh, may take some work to, to undo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, infamous basically all across Israel. Um, the reaction to being Irish was was quite extraordinary. Certainly a first for, for me to, to, to experience that. Really bizarre. But our, you know, we we're still kind of trying to put together what we've just experienced these two weeks or three weeks that we've been away. Um, really quite extraordinary. And you know, we brought you some stories last week. This week, you know, we we spoke to a whole load of more people. I think in total, we've we've interviewed about twenty people. Um, uh, you know, and these are very long interviews, and we're you know not ready to tell you yet. But we're doing um a very large project that will forever, um immortalize these stories and 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 be a memorial to what happened on October 7th which so many people want to memory hole and mm-hmm. forget um we met Shania film you'll remember this yes. wonderful the, 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 I think she was one of the, the second last person we interviewed this mm. beautiful 25 year old nova survivor in Omer near Beersheva you say nova survivor so she was uh, she was at the nova party down in music near festival. music festival near Gaza um, I think four thousand people yes. were at were at the festival, and um, and Nova Nova is trance music, side trance music, which is trance. electro music. Um, but it's also very connected with I think taking a lot of drugs and staying up all night and and drinking a lot. And but the people who were there were very new agey, very hippie-ish, very um, love and peace, very love and peace. And then for them to have this experience. Really extraordinary. And this girl, 25, really beautiful. And she was so courageous. Really extraordinary. Um, I mean, there's so many parts of her story. I mean, you know, just a little, like a snapshot was when she with the, the friends, the three friends, the two guys and a girl, Maya, and they're running at one point. I mean, you can interrupt me, Phil, but I'm getting, you know, there's this little pictures that I have a memory of what she was telling us. And it's a long interview. She spoke for about three hours. Yeah. Was that she's running and on either side, the people, the other people running are falling. They're falling because they're being shot, shot dead or shot and injured. So they're falling and the four of them are running and Maya can't stop crying. And I think it's one of those things where because Mia started crying first, Shania kind of became strong and said, we will. And and Mia kept saying to her, "Um, will we get out of this? And and um, and Shania said we will. So they ran and they ran and they ran. And at one point they found a tree and behind the tree there was kind of a there was a kind of a, a dugout section. It was kind of like an incline underneath behind the tree and covered, that was completely covered in incredible thorny bushes. And we're not talking about your average... No, she showed a photograph yes. and hopefully hopefully, I'm showing you those photographs right now. These incredibly long thorns. Yes, they had, proper at one thorns. Point, at one point, you know, they had stopped and started and stopped and started and they were running over these fields and running through orchards and running through all kinds of places. At one point they thought, you know what, we're going to stop here and we're going to get under these bushes because it gives, it's going to give us good cover. So they got under these um, thorny bushes and it was, I mean, really painful. I mean, and they were getting, obviously getting... Um, and she was made the... I mean, she's so nice. So a lovely girl she was wearing shorts all the other ones the other three in her group were all wearing long pants so it wasn't as bad for them but she was getting destroyed with um with these thorns and they get under and they're like really 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 quiet because 
all around them at different times. And just to say that they're there under these thorns for about five and a half hours, during which time they hear all kinds of things. They can hear people going past. <clears throat> they can hear Hamas going all around them. They have gunshots hitting the ground and puffs coming up around them. And Mia is is between um, Shania's legs. And, you know, at one point, at one point, Shania thinks she's been shot and she says, I think I've just got shot. You know, and she kind of whispers to her friend, Mia, and says, I've been shot. And Mia says, you haven't been shot. It's a thorn. And there was a thorn. Basically, she got a thorn like in her backside. And like these thorns, as I said, were two, three inches long. like being shot. One of the things that they all did as well was that they they had they had a fear that if they had their location responders on and their phones, that Hamas might have access to that, that Hamas had access to WhatsApp and that maybe they could be geolocated. So they turned off their phones. They had this whole idea about turning off their phones. Meanwhile, right, Philem, mm-hmm. Shania's boyfriend uh, is like uh, is not is not was not with her. He was somewhere else, and he has decided quite cleverly that he's going to go onto her iPad. Mm-hmm. And see where her phone is, yeah, find, because to find, find my phone. Because um, and I have that. With, I have an iPad and, a, and, a, and an iPhone. And my once I leave, the iPhone always says to me, "You are now separated from your iPad or whatever." So he did that, and then she then tells us, like, and I mean, the way she told this story, it was. I mean, it's really extraordinary. She then tells us the story that oh God, she had changed the password like two of weeks ago of her iPad, and she hadn't told him. But they knew each other that well that he guessed her. Password, her new password and he was able to find where she was and I think one of the other friends they decided at some stage to turn on a phone and so he sent a message out and kind of long story short I'm just looking at my notes here to other you know other things that happened but basically you know after a very very long time and again everyone was really quiet the four of them were really really quiet somebody comes along to where they are and says and calls out the name of one of the guys I'm trying to remember his name mm-hmm. and says Mal, his name Tal, wasn't Tal um yeah. And says his name and they all stay quiet because they think that's like a real Israeli name. And it's like probably Hamas trying it out. Mm. And then the guy, and I mean, you know, starts saying a huge list of names. Shani. And, 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 and the names and names and names and names. And then all around them, they realize that they were not alone, the four of them. That in fact, 16 other people were under those bushes with them and they hadn't realized because that's how quiet everyone was. And they get, um, they get um, saved. Oh, I've got to tell this one more story. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'll just tell this one more story about Shania. Um, she tells us in the middle of the, I mean, she's just adorable, like just adorable girl in the middle of it. And we heard this from more people. Phelan, you'll remember. She mm-hmm. decided to pray the Shema. I think it's called the Shema. And all the Jewish friends can get in touch with me and tell me, which is the hero Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And she starts to, she says that. And it's, I mean, it's, uh, I think it's the fundamental central prayer of the Jewish faith. And she says it. And then a bird lands, a bird lands on the bushes above her head. And she just knew it was her grandfather. And she didn't who, know. Uh, she didn't know until she, afterwards. She didn't know until afterwards when she spoke to her mother that her grandfather had died. She obviously knew her grandfather had died, but the anniversary of her grandfather dying, he had died on the seventh of October, seven years previously. So um, it's the exact same day, seven days earlier. So she, she believes that that was her grandfather there in the bird in response to the prayer. And Mia, so Mia couldn't stop crying. And at one stage, Shania says to Mia, she said, "Look around you." Look at this really beautiful place. We will get out of here, I promise you. And in the meantime, Shania is really scared herself. Um, So they ran anyway. So anyway, when they were eventually um, saved, they were saved and driven out of there by Leon, who was a reservist who drove back and forth and back and forth, picking up survivors. In his white van, he had no weapon. And we then asked her about Leon and Leon was shot dead by Hamas on October 8th and his son, the next day, his son was shot in both legs. She hasn't met um, uh, Leon's family yet, but obviously she does want to. um, And she was just amazing. And by the way, she eventually is saved. Obviously, she gets out. I have a photograph there of her with the four of them. Once they realized they were in safety, the four the four friends embracing Mm -hmm. each other. She gets to her boyfriend's house and then the boyfriend basically says to her, I'm going to have to go. I've been called up. Mm. Um, and he went back and he, you know, got his got his stuff together and yep. went out there to uh, to fight. And she is going to rejoin um, her unit. I think she really and she has. is. Yeah, she is a combat, a medic. combat medic. I think that was one of the problems. She felt such guilt at, at, on the day she wanted when the people were falling around her, she wanted to stop and, and 
look after them. But the the person with her uh, slapped her in the face basically and said, "Don't forget the first rule of combat medic is to be is safety first. There's no way you can help them if you're dead or you're injured. So you have to make sure you're not dead or injured." And the guns so were and the and the shots were being shots firing were going off. all so around. So they had them. to keep going, and she had to leave wounded on on the battlefield. And uh, and I think that that's why. Well, she she's she was very much into the reserves beforehand and doing her army duty and now she's re re-upped her contract and she's back as a combat medic and now. she's also and i think this is an interesting thing as well she's also um you know because she had made a point that she wasn't religious but she's now observant she's observing the shabbat and she's doing the prayers on friday the one thing that she's not doing i'm trying to remember what it was but there's something that she's not doing oh, but she's, basically, she's taking up knitting to, oh, she's uh, taking up knitting and you're not meant to knit on the shabbat because you're not meant to do anything but she's doing i think that there's nothing wrong with it but i think she's doing the knitting as a way to kind of um to calm herself because yes. i think she's in a very bad place like a lot of people are and we've heard you know we've heard reports um you know, and we've heard them in a number of places, so I think they probably are true that um, about 20 young people, at least 20 young people from the Nova Party have been sectioned because of their extreme trauma and mm-hmm. PTSD following what's happened. We also met Zaki, um, just magnificent, fabulous. We met him in Moshav Patish, about eight kilometers from, from the border of Gaza. Um, super religious, right? Extremely religious. So, and I mean, what a lovely person and so kind, brought us into his house. Very religious and so extremely observant, obviously, of Shabbat. So mm-hmm. they don't watch television. They don't open their phones. You know, they can't They can't drive a car. You can do nothing like that, obviously, during Shabbat. So this obviously happened during Shabbat. And, you know, what happened was they... So they t- no, no, no TV, no radio. They have no news. But then he hears the sirens. And the sirens were much worse than normal. So normally there's like one mm-hmm. volley of sirens, whatever. But this time was like it, it was continuous. And so he broke the Shabbat, obviously, turned on the radio, turned on the television to find out was going on and you know and he explained to us as well that you know you do break Shabbat but this is exactly the reason you break Shabbat well, he says you're allowed to, to break souls. I think he said you're allowed to break Shabbat to save souls in fact he said it's a mitzvah I believe it's a mitzvah which is a command that you must break Shabbat so we're learning a lot uh, about the Jewish religion and his story was incredible and he you know he went back and forth and back and forth bringing bringing out groups including one couple who you know they were he had gotten information from a friend of theirs where they, and were. Ha- where they were and then he was shouting come out come out come out and of course the problem was people were frightened of coming out because um, they they, did, they thought it might be Hamas then, then we went we well also... actually I want to say one thing about oh, him yeah. I remember him in the van and uh, he was wearing the little Jewish oh, yeah. thing and yeah. you'd hear some uh, people on the phone of the young people yeah on the phone to their mothers their fathers who are, you know were obviously secular going even even the religious he's religious but he's broken the Shabbat they, they couldn't believe it they were just going and he was going he hopes that they picked up something you know about yeah. about about the, the faith that's right he said that I hope they've picked up something about the faith through you know, this experience through you know? this experience that that, that, we, that the religious are not just religious that they can that you know that there's there's more to their faith than than keeping the Shabbat it's helping other people on the Shabbat as well if needed. And then, and then we, we went and then we went north again, back up near Caesarea to meet people who, um, again, people, young people who are gathering together uh, in this kind of wellness center where they're getting therapy in the evenings. And what they're doing now in that in that in that place is in the evenings, they are celebrating the lives of, of the lost. And on the day the, the, the we went, we went there twice. The second time we went there, which was just before we, we left to come back here, um, they were celebrating Rachel. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were photographs and we put up some stuff there there was lots of photographs of Rachel and lots of t-shirts with Rachel's face on them with the with, uh, you know that she believed in unicorns you know very and, and basically we talked to Rachel's father um, there's a photograph of us talking to Rachel's father yeah. I mean a beautiful man As a fabulous said, guy have he wasn't perfection. her father actually he was her um, her stepfather but he had I think had adopted her yes. and just adored her and said like yeah what was it the kind of per- she was perfe- perfect perfect he said murdered perfection he said uh, he, he said he had arguments with his biological children but he never had an argument with Rachel she was such uh, a good she girl she was 25 she was you know she was making her life was making jewellery I love this playing she was the making stock jewellery she was making jewellery and stocks and we were like and partying and we were saying like what do you mean stocks and he said like the stock market and the thing that was really funny and so she's very groovy looking you can see what she looks like there but basically God help them now they've discovered of course she had loads of money she was really clever on the stock market she was making jewellery and having the stocks and 
basically people had come from everywhere to celebrate Rachel. She sounded like such a fabulous person. Um, and there were very famous um, artists, very famous music uh, people. And you'll hear a little snippet of one of those right now. She won, she won um, the Eurovision for uh, Israel. And this is her serenading Rachel's mother, or singing to Rachel's mother. Yeah. Amazing stories, and we're going to be bringing you a lot more of those stories uh, coming up. Actually, let's play a little clip of Rachel's father. We asked Rachel's father what message he had for Leo Varadkar, the Irish Prime Minister, um, regarding uh, uh, Emily Hand being lost. And let's see, let's hear what he had to say then. Emily Hand, you'll remember, is the eight-year-old who was kidnapped by Hamas, and Leo Varadkar said, "Oh my, oh, it's so wonderful that she was lost and found." He didn't say anything about being kidnapped by Hamas. So let's hear. Rachel's father, uh, really speak for Israel regarding that. My name is Michael Zilberman. I'm father of Rachel Dov, who was killed, brutally killed by Hamas terrorists. And I was more than surprised when I heard Mr. Prime Minister of Ireland, somehow he found out the girl, you know, like, it's like she was a little suitcase. And we just lost her in some airport. And then somehow we just found her. Mr. Leo, I'm trying to to find some nice words for you, but there is no nice world for you. She was kidnapped and her parents was killed. And this is it. There's nothing to say to you, you know? Just shame on yourself. Because my daughter, she was killed. And the other girl, she, you didn't find her. She didn't get lost. She was kidnapped. Shame on you. And talking of Ireland, so, Ireland. But just to, to finish, ahead. to finish on Israel. I mean, I I think you know, um, big takeout from the our experience there. What a what a gorgeous country, but more extraordinary than the country itself are the people that uh, that live there. Really exceptional. Um, uh, you sort of understand how they're the chosen people. I mean, honestly, really, really exceptional. Really talented. Gorgeous. Um, really amazing spirit and they're incredibly unified uh, at this moment obviously given what given what's happening um and they still have you know all these people who are still um hostages and one has to wonder and i think you know how many of the hostages are really still alive um is a big question they did not hamas had said that they would release all the women and children and they did not do that they have not all been released um so people are, you know, and we saw that uh, probably a lot of people saw Elon Musk who's wearing around his neck the, you know, the thing, bring them home, you know, which um, is something that we certainly share that sentiment, bring them home, bring them home now. Um, the, uh, you know, and it's incredible to hear people being so sympathetic towards, um, on the, to the other side and, it, you know, talking about ceasefires. You know, before you talk about anything else, let's get all the hostages out. Why, why are the hostages being held? You know, why can, the, you know, it's just, um, it's, beyond belief and the young people um, and the babies, you know, um, who I just wonder what, what state they're in. But um, anyway, it's been an extraordinary experience. We're still kind of jet lagged. So be be gentle with us this week. Phelan, what did you want to say about Ireland? Well, as you know, Ireland, you may not know, Ireland's on fire politically and literally with riots. Um, uh, an Algerian uh, immigrant stabbed a teacher and three children under the age of six. Rioting ensued. Um, one organization, Grip Media, reported the facts uh, that the person was Algerian was widely condemned for telling the truth. Um, because, as as you know, journalists' jobs are to, uh, to suppress the truth. But something they never normally say that out loud, except Kitty Holland, who's one of the leading journalists in Ireland. Uh, she is with the Irish Times, and she defend. Uh, she def She was on the BBC and said the quiet part out loud. She's defending the media's decision to suppress stories and facts that, quote, would not be helpful. So her comments came in a BBC interview. So the, the background of this is there was another stabbing and murder for a young woman called Ashley Murphy. She was murdered. The teacher. Yeah, she was murdered in 2022. In, by broad, in broad daylight, jogging, canal. jogging by the by the canal. Yeah, and she was murdered. It was an immigrant as well. Uh, initially, uh, when it was thought to be an Irish person, the left started talking about toxic, toxic masculinity. Irish masculinity. 
etc etc when it was when it be clear came clear it was an immigrant uh, they stopped talking about toxic Irish masculinity and never talked about any uh, other kind of toxic behavior any, yes from immigrants so However, in Ireland, they have a thing called victim impact statements. You have them in America, too. I'm not sure they really should be in the Irish justice system, uh, given, you know, this is one of my pet peeves with victim impact impact statements, is if I get mugged and it doesn't affect me, the person gets a sentence. If you get mugged and it really destroys your life, then the person gets a worse sentence. It shouldn't, the crime should be the crime, regardless of the impact on the person if it's, it's it's the same crime but that's the uh, that's a different matter so the her boyfriend i think or fiance gave, ryan casey gave a very moving uh victim impact statement and he said he, it just sickens me to the core that someone can come to this country be fully supported in terms of social housing social welfare and free medical care for over 10 years over 10 years never hold down a legitimate job and never once contribute to society in any way, shape or form, can commit such a horrendous evil act of incomprehensible violence on such a beautiful, loving and talented person who in fact worked for the state, educating the next generation and represented everything that is good about Irish society. I feel like this country is no longer the country that Ashley and I grew up in and Ireland has officially lost its innocence when a crime of this magnitude can be perpetrated in broad daylight. This country needs to wake up. This time, things have gone to change we have to once and for all start putting the safety of not only Irish people but everybody in this country who works hard pays taxes raises families and overall contributes to society first we don't want to see any other family in this country go through what we have gone through and are continuing to go through and he goes on, you know, I've a, I myself have a little sister and I honestly thought of her walking the streets of any village, town or city in this country alone makes me physically sick. Anyway, he goes on and about he, that. This time, if real change does not happen, if the safety of people living in this country is further ignored, I'm afraid our country is heading down a very dangerous path and can be certain that we'll, we will not be the last family in this position. The host of the BBC programme said to Kitty Holland, the Irish Times journalist. The Irish Times prize-winning journalist. Yes, those were very interesting comments, weren't they? And she disagreed, and she said... She disagreed, so she disagreed that they were interesting comments. (laughs) You know, and I think that's not correct, Kitty. They were interesting. You may not agree with them, but they are interesting. I think elements of them were not good. They were incitement to hatred. I think that's why the media left out... Oh, sorry, I should point out, the Irish Times did not report on them. Many of the national media outlets in Ireland did not report on these comments just ignored them and I think that's why the media left out aspects of them I think they were not they were right to not include Casey's full comments and news reports I don't think that they were helpful and that this is the kind of thing that the and and this is the kind of thing that the far right latches on to so you know but you have to ask, and we should add, Katie Holland previously won Journalist of the Year, News Reporter of the Year, and overall winner of the Justice Media Award. In other words, she's not nobody. But also she wins awards. For, and, and for, for this journalism thing. For this journalism things, but, but she seems to think journalism is, is, to, is, is to, to suppress news that is not helpful. But the question is, not helpful to what? Yeah. Or to who? Yeah. Like, it's a very good question. So I think it's not helpful to the media elite, not helpful to the political elite, who are the same thing. Not helpful. Uh, but it might be helpful to to safer streets. It might be helpful uh, yeah. to people who are living in crime areas. But it's not helpful to Kitty Holland's narrative. Uh, and that is, and it's the same here, you know, news is suppressed because it's not helpful to Joe Biden. It's not helpful to the Democrats. It's not helpful to the, the Republican establishment. It's not helpful to the elites. And that's the way the media is, is the, the mainstream media is now. And we hope that you will read alternative media and listen to the Alan Phelan Scoop. And by the way, uh, talking of listening to the Alan Phelan Scoop, uh, to help us keep going, do go to onreportedstorysociety.com and give it what you can. Thank uh, you very helps much. helps us going. Um, so, yeah, a, a little side note. Conor McGregor, you probably know him as a mixed martial arts fighter. He has actually spoken boldly about this uh, and uh, spoken boldly about the Algerian gen- man um, who stabbed... Gen- I was going to use the word gentleman because I think it was uh, one of the Irish politicians called him a gentleman. Yes. Which is kind of funny in a weird and strange way. So I was being sarcastic there. Um he says, I don't condone the riots, but um, but I understand frustrations. I understand a move must be made to ensure the change we need ushered in. 
uh, and fast. And you know, there's speculation about him being president. Of course, the, re- the response of the state to that was to get the police to investigate those comments uh, that they might be part of an online hate speech crime. Talking of online spe- hate speech crimes, and COP28, uh, which is... What is COP28, Anne? COP28 is another one of the... Um climate change conferences, United Nations Climate Change Conference. I don't know what the word, uh, 20, obviously there's been 28 of them at this point. It's unbelievable. Yes. Um, and, and the other thing that I noticed about it, which I thought was interesting, was, you know, I was thinking, you know, when does it end? And it started on the 30th of November and it's going to end on the 12th of December. So it's basically going on for two weeks and 70, almost twice as many people have come to this COP as came to the last one. Where 70, last one? I don't know, I can't even remember where the last one was. It was the last one in Scotland. Um, basically, over 70,000 people have come. It's unbelievable. It's a massive business, basically. you know. Um, and of course, if they really were serious about uh, worrying about the climate, they mm-hmm. wouldn't be flying on their private jets and they would have all just done a Zoom. But, you know, but if you have a Zoom, then you can't go to posh dinners and you can't you know, go in business class and flights and all that and make nice deals and everything. So, but what was really funny and I think kind of big news and kind of good news actually was that the COP president, who is UAE's Sultan Al-Jabbar, um, has basically said there's no science behind demands for the phase out of fossil fuels. Yes. And he had that conversation with none other than Ireland's own Mary Robinson, well, previous president previous of Ireland. Previous president, no. He's now some kind of elder, a climate elder, which yes. is wherever she uh, yes, got that he title says, from. Uh, a phase out of fossil fuels would not allow sustainable development unless you want to take the world back into the caves. Into the caves. Now, uh, let's, let's play that, actually. And uh, this is Mary Robinson, who's this Irish... Do-gooder, um, who who has uh, is now, as you say, one of the uh, elders, Nelson Mandela's Council of Elders, or something. And you hear her talking about the elders, and she's been uh, getting her head ripped off by Sultan Abj- Al Jabbar, metaphorically, by the way, uh, Sultan Al Jabbar, uh, about the lack of science and lack of reality, and the finger. I love the bit about the finger pointing. It's very right. Like you're finger pointing. What do you, What are you doing about it? And you know, she goes. She gives interviews, and you know, well, I've become a pescatarian. It's like, yeah, but you want us to live live in the dark. But you, all you're doing is it's not eating fish. You know. So um, let's have a listen to that. Yes, it, it's not going to happen overnight, as you say. It will be orderly but urgent. I didn't hear the word urgent enough in your voice when you spoke earlier. That's why I kind of interrupted. Said fast track. I'm not sure what urgent means. A fast track is not good enough. Fast track is, um, you know, it can be more of a managerial term. Uh, urgency is crisis, crisis mode. Yeah, yeah. We can we can always play with words here. Um, you are a good politician, and you know how to use words better than I do. I'm a businessman. I am centered around delivery and actions. But will you will you, will you lead on phasing out, phasing out fossil fuel with just transition, as I've. As I've said, you can, you can, you can, you you can take the lead. I'll make sure I put you as an item on the agenda and I'll adopt it. Someone has to take the lead. You are a developed, uh, you come from a developed country. Developed countries, I'm sure, can take the lead like they always do and uh, lead by example. You can lead by example. And like I said from the beginning, I accepted to come to this, uh, to this meeting to have a sober and a mature uh, conversation. Uh, we do not, I'm not in any way signing up to any discussion that is alarmist. I am here factual and I respect the science. And there is no science uh, out there or no scenario out there that says that the phase out of fossil fuel is what's going to achieve 1.5. 1.5 is my North Star. And a phase down and a phase out of fossil fuel, in my view, is inevitable. It is essential, but we need to be real, serious and pragmatic about it. But the real serious and pragmatic doesn't take into account that we are in. I mean, I I respect that you've done a lot of hard work preparing for this COP and that you've listened to the science. The science is very acute now. We don't have any time. They say six or seven years. We've got to peak by 2025 latest in fossil fuel. And your company is investing in a lot more new fossil fuel. And that's 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 going to hurt women. Uh, ma'am, <laughs> you've, you've just accused me of something that is not correct. I'm sorry, I don't take it. Now I ask you to prove to I, me. I, I read that how... your company is, is investing in a lot more fossil fuel in the future. Yes, ma'am, you're reading, you're reading your own media. 
which is biased and wrong. I am telling you, I am the man in charge, and it is wrong, ma'am. You need to listen to me, please. I'm, I'm please, very, for I'm very once. pleased to hear it. I'm very pleased to hear it. It is wrong. You guys write a lie, and you believe it. I'm well, sorry. I, I do not I accept it. What I, see, um, I am not accepting this. I'm sorry. I am sorry. I respect you, and I do not accept any false accusations. I've been very clear about my position. This is wrong. And you're asking for a phase out of fossil fuel. Please help me. Show me. Okay, I thought that was really delightful. Yes. Uh, and by the way, next week we're going to have Robert Bryce on. Um, very brilliant Robert Bryce, who's obviously an expert on all things energy and all things climate related. Mm -hmm. um, he had a fabulous substack recently that um, I just want to bring you one slide from that, which is, as he, as he said, he has 11 slides that he's just published in his most recent substack. Mm -hmm. And I said he'll be on next week. But um, I just give you one to share today and I'm yeah. we're putting it up on the screen right now and as he said what energy transition the global coal fired generation by it's region so basically you know uh, everywhere in the world you know except for uh, Asia is you know is curbing their use of coal and obviously coal is a fantastic you, you know yeah. a, a fantastic way of generating a very 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 reliable energy mm -hmm. um, but look at the line for Asia yeah you know, so basically, and when and I, I say Asia, that's basically China and it's India. It's basically China and India. So coal use is declining in the US and Europe. In Asia, it's soaring. India and China are burning record amounts of coal. On Wednesday of last week, Reuters reported that India plans to add 17 gigawatts of new coal-fired capacity over the next 16 months. Um, and China is approving the equivalent of two new coal plants every week. You know, so, you know, and by the way, they're at these climate talks as well. So it's mm -hmm. like, it's just hilarious. Yeah. They're just, you know, they just, you know, and, and they get to sit there at the table like as though, you know, they, they care about anything to do with these uh, emissions or whatever. But we will have Robert Bryce next week because I think, I mean, this is a huge, it's a huge issue. And talking of fairy tales, like what I did there. Yeah, I like that. Nice segue See, there, Philip. Talking of climate fairy tales. I, I wanted to talk about Disney this week. So. Disney, um, I mean, people have been saying go woke, go broke. And of course, you know, it's a very easy thing to say. Is it true? You know, certainly with Disney, it, it really is true, I believe. And uh, I think they finally noticed, you know, um, they lost 106 million on light year, which was the, this is 2022, 106 million on light year, 152 million on Strange World. Uh, both of which pro featured gay, gay plot lines in movies that were designed for for, for little for kids. children and then 2023 was a complete disaster only one disney movie made a profit i think out of 12 that were released many like miss mar the miss marvel or princess marvel whatever it was was a complete disaster no movie made over a billion like i mean it was a complete disaster and this takes me into another um part of the story I want to cover, the media coverage of this. There's been article after article after article after article about Disney's not doing well. And they put it down to superhero fatigue. They put it down to COVID. They put it down to boardroom, uh, you know, because it was Bob Iger retired and Bob Chapek took over and Iger had to come back on his white horse. And and, and th there were all this and none of them were talking about the go woke, go broke. And, and the problem is, you know, you talk to ordinary people, and and they do not like, and it's and of course they try the media try and when they're forced to talk about it, the media talk about, um, you know, that that there's this anti-gay backlash or, it's etc. It's not it, people don't want to take their five-year-old child to a Disney movie and then have to explain to them about two men kissing or even a man and a woman kissing. By the way, you know, you look at the old Snow White like. The prince kissed the the, the 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 princess or Snow White on the lips for one second, and that was that was the m most dramatic um, piece of sexuality in the movie, right? So you know the the the. the the children should know about love and that, but it sh should be very, very chaste. And people do not want to go to the movies and have awkward conversations with their children afterwards, right? They want them to go and enjoy. So finally, actually, Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, has noticed this. And I'm a subscriber to Puck, which is an online um, industry uh, site, which were you know, about the nexus of Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood. And... Puck is, is a very, very successful site. It's got a very, very elite readership. And, um, you know, there's that old law where you, if you read 
people can read on page three of the newspaper about a story they know very well and realize it's full of nonsense and holes and half-truths and then go to page five and believe what they read on page five because they don't know anything about the story. And Puck was very like that because when you read it, it's got that air, you know, that liberal air of, we kind of know so much, it's almost a hassle to have to tell you about it. We just know everything and you'll get the... and so they spoke. They speak so authoritatively about things. And then I've been noticing recently when they talk about things that I know things about, because I've been in the room sometimes. Rather, you know, uh, they just they don't have a clue, and I'm realizing they don't know anything. And they've really shown themselves. Uh, and I want to use the article from Puck to to really um, to really emphasize how media has failed and how and how Disney has failed as well. So. Bob Iger was speaking at a conference and uh, he, you know, he said, now we've got to go back to the first basics of entertaining first, right? And, and Puck are reporting on this and uh, uh, they make the point about, so apparently when Bob Chapak was the, the, the CEO of Disney, he went into Lightyear, the, 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 that movie. And, and by the way, got rid of every gay, rap- can you believe this? Got rid of all these gay references from it, all all these gay storylines, and but there was such a revolt that he was forced to keep the gay kiss in, right? Like, what kind of world do these people live in? But for Puck, this was like this these these journalists at Puck, this was like a sign that you know the Chapek was 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 going crazy. There was massive pushback from Pixar, who who made Lightyear, and they forced him to keep the gay kiss. The movie flopped, but you know, and you know. As 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 the puck people said, though almost n- certainly not because two women smooched for a half second. It was exactly because two women smooched for a half second. It was exactly because they knew that the writers were not trying to uh, tell a story. They were not trying to entertain. They were trying to push a message and trying to push sexuality to your five-year-old children. And uh, the audience that the audience knew about this and didn't go. Uh, but, you know, as Puck says, but the Disney go woke, go broke narrative persists, um, um, you know, and, and then they say it's a narrative. And then they quote Jonathan Turley, right, uh, who says once an unassailable and uniting brand, the Disney brand is now negatively associated with activism by a significant number of consumers. So it is true, is it, uh, journalists? Uh, uh, and, you know, then they quote Disney was ranked. They don't quote us. They state this as a fact. Disney was ranked the fifth most polarizing brand in the recent Axis Harris polls, right? Wow. Fifth most polarizing brand. But they're claiming that Go Woke, Go Broke doesn't exist. Right. Right. Um, And then they say, now if you leave any Los Angeles, New York bubble, you hear it, not necessarily a backlash, but skepticism towards Disney. Um, The fans, right or wrong, have noticed a shift and some don't like it. Well, if they've noticed a shift, they don't, you know, it's not, it's right. Um, you know, and they, they do things like the racially diverse Little Mermaid and the non-binary characters in Elemental and the Latina hair lead in, in the new Snow White. It's not the Latina hair. You know, this is what they do. They misrepresent. It's not the Latina lead in the new Snow White. Uh, it's it's the um, it's her saying that Prince Charming was a stalker in the original. It's the seven dwarfs which were replaced by ethnic ethnically diverse people uh now they've been re- then re-replaced with uh, cgi dwarves after the backline but then they, they actually have to say this and you know the interracial parents gay teen slash disabled dog in strange world and and they even have to say for real uh, that's and, and they're saying it's nothing to do with that you know it's a uh, you know he the, the journalist then has to admit i saw that in a movie in a theater f- half full of families in Arizona, and there were some audible groans during the gay courtship scenes. Of course, <laughs> there were. They're they're there with their five year olds, and uh, they don't want to explain. They don't want to explain any courtship she- scenes. Actually, never mind gay ones. And uh, you know, and the journalist says, "Part of me is like, screw them," you know. Uh, and you know, I suspect that Bob Iger, who has long championed diversity in Disney storytelling, feels the same way. You know, but now he's sounding like Ron DeSantis. So. It does make the point, you know, and this is part of the problem, that the creators want to do this. 
you know, and Disney wants to be in the creator business, yep. right? Yeah. So the business, the creators want to do this, but the problem, uh, uh, you know, and Iger says this: creators lost sight of what their number one objective needed to be. We have to entertain first. It's not about messages. And I mean, this is not a new idea. Like back in the old days, it was, you know, the studio execs used to say, if you want to send a message, go to Western Union. You know, that was the joke. But there is a shift, right after. Was it 11 out of the 12 movies Disney released in 2023 lost money? They're, the creators are finally realizing it's all very well to be in the creative business and, and, and make messages. But if you're in the creative business and you're, and you're not making the people who pay for you money, then you won't be in the creative business. And very interesting, uh, the, the, war, the, the response from P the Pixar people who so vehemently objected to cutting the gray scene, gay scenes in Lightyear, as Puck is forced to admit, the poor Puck, the, the journalists on Puck, they said there was crickets, there was zero. They realized this is an existential crisis for them. They will not be around to send their messages if, if this continues. Hmm. So really, we're at, the, we're at the next stage now of go woke, go broke. They've gone broke and... Uh, they have a choice. They can continue to alienate their their core audience and, and make their brand more divisive, or they can recalibrate and start telling stories again. I wonder, do they have the ability to recalibrate? Uh, I think they're so uh, soaked into the uh, into the into the divisive uh, sending them of a message uh, that it, it's irredeemable. Time will tell, I suppose. So now. I want to go over to the interview I did earlier with Brock Heasley. Brock is a brilliant director. He's just come out with this great movie from the same studio, by the way, from the people who've made uh, The Chosen. Um, and uh, let's go over to that interview now uh, that I did with Brock earlier. So I'm joined now by Brock Heasley. Brock is a writer, filmmaker, and artist. Um, in his past, he has launched online comics, written young adult contemporary novels. Um, he's written a memoir, The Other Side of Fear, a through coming of age story of murder, forgiveness, and the peace only faith can bring. Uh, he has then moved into the movie world. And the reason we're here to talk to him today is uh, to talk to him about The Shift, which started out as a as a short movie, actually, uh, about an ordinary man receiving a, a job offer from the devil. Uh, it's now a feature film released by released today, released now by Angel Studios, um, who also released The Chosen. Uh, it has many con connections with The Chosen. Uh, I, I want to talk to Brock about those. But first of all, welcome to the show, Brock. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Colin. I'm so, so happy to be talking to you today. Yeah, we'll talk later about the about the connections between the chosen. Obviously, it's the same studio. There are many people overlapping, including Dallas Jenkins, who you know, the, really the creator of the chosen, uh, who's also now who's an executive producer of this. But uh, funny, uh, before we talk about the the commonalities, I want to talk about the differences. Uh, to me, the movie it's very very interesting it's it's actually i think it'll attract a younger a much younger audience than the chosen it's a dystopian science fiction movie with dark, dark religious with religious overtones undertones i would call it it's a wonderful life a dystopian dystopian science fiction version of it's a wonderful life uh, am i correct or am i missing something or no you're you're pretty much hitting the mark and it's funny because the it's a wonderful life connection that has only come up recently as the people have started watching it. That is not something I ever really thought of. I love It's a Wonderful Life. It's one of my all-time favorite movies, as it is for a lot of people. Um, but I think in terms of the... I think what that film does so brilliantly is it does kind of delve into the darker side of life. I mean, you're talking about a main character who literally wants to commit suicide. Um, and so the, the It's a Wonderful Life is this great, uplifting film that isn't afraid to show us and walk us through a little bit of darkness before we get to that, that wonderful, wonderful conclusion of that film where we just feel this energy and, and, and so uplifted and inspired. And I think the shift um, shares something in common with that. I think when people are talking about It's a Wonderful Life, I think that's what they're talking about. And, and I, I think the shift uh, for a lot of people, what we're getting from them, it, it sends them out on a similar high by the time they get to the end and they pass through all this difficulty that, that our main character does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no... Um... It's a it's a dark movie for a lot of the movie. You know, there is a, that uplifting at the end, um, and you know it's 
it's probably wrong to pick out particular actors, and but Neil McDonough, who's you know who's a well-known actor, everyone would know him. You can tell me what he's been in, but he he just, I mean, his role. I suppose it's the devil or it's the a dark malevolent force. His acting, he he just looks like he's having a great time, uh, enjoying the role, and is an amazing actor. No, he is incredible in this movie. I mean, it's my personal favorite performance that he's ever given. And and he'll tell you this himself. He really sees his role as the benefactor, as the culmination of all the bad guy roles that he's taken over the years in Hollywood. And that's a lot of roles. But he really sees the benefactor as something very special. And it was really the first chance that he got to, as an actor, express his faith through playing a villain. Which may not, which may sound kind of contradictory, but I think when you see the film, it, it makes a lot of sense. Funny, th- th- this would be one of my uh, bugbears about Christian movies, right? Is is that sometimes they don't want to show the dark, which which is strange for for Christians, by the way, because you know the 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 one thing about Christians and the one thing about conservatives is that we realize human beings are born sinful; they're born dark. Uh, and we have to work to be good. Where I, I think liberals, you know, you know, this is a gross simplification. They think people are born good and are, are run down by capitalism or other forces. So it's it's strange that Christian movies tend to shy away from darkness, you know, and t- tend to frown on showing characters in bars or showing characters to take drugs or drink. When when that is what redemption is all about, isn't it? Um, and certainly I'll say this movie does not, you know, I, I think it's probably, I don't think there's anything R-rated or anything. What, what is the rating for the movie? It's PG-13, but it's PG-13 for um, violence, which is not graphic, and some thematic elements. So there's no yes. profanity, there's no sex. There, yeah, it's it's actually a pretty clean movie, but it's, it's definitely a mature movie. So it gets, it gets a PG-13. Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you said so, so. So no profanity, but you know, there is even. But even with Christian movies, and there's a tendency sometimes not to show people drinking, uh, not to show drug taking, and to, you know, the, the, this movie shows. Well, it 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 shows the dark side, and uh, then it shows redemption and what you have to do for redemption. So, and I, and I think it's that's maybe a feeling in a lot of. Uh, Christian conservative movies is that the dark isn't dark enough, so therefore the redemption isn't bright enough, isn't hopeful enough, doesn't uplift you enough. Well, it doesn't feel real, does it? I mean, if 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 we're watching, if we're trying to believe in a God that's real, and and we're trying to identify with these people on screen, they should feel human. They should feel like the people we know. And I, and I do think too often we're presented with characters who just don't have enough flaws to be real. And so the redemption that they achieve and the uplift that we're supposed to have at the end, it feels false in some way, even though it appeals to our instincts and, and to our values and, and what we believe in, it can have a false feeling. And to me, that's that's a disservice to the very real, true reality of, of redemption and, and of God. It started off as a short movie. Did it change much from the short movie to the to the feature film that is now being released? So there's two ways to approach turning a feature film into a into a into I'm sorry, turning a short film into a feature film, and that's either you take the story of the short film and you stretch it out to two hours, or you do what I did and you take the short film as the launching point for the feature film. So what people, if people are familiar with the feature film, uh, basically everything in the feature film is more or less contained within the first act. I'm sorry, of the short film. Everything in the short film is more or less in the first act. And then and then the feature film really just continues the story and, and keeps it going. Um, and so that was that was really the challenge, was to take something that I thought was basically complete in its short form and then say, what if? What if the story kept going? Where would this guy go? What would happen to him? And that was that was a lot of fun to figure out. And I think that's one of the reasons the movie is so surprising to people. They go on this journey they, they, that is very unpredictable because the movie, you know, the storytelling kind of started from an unpredictable place of what happens when the story is over. Well, it, it's very unpredictable. Your, your, your heart's sort of in your mouth, the whole movie. You don't know what's going to – I don't know how you do it, but you keep, you keep the viewer on edge the whole time. I think it's because we know – Going, we suddenly realize this is not your average Christian movie. This is something different. And, and I say Christian movie because you've been open. I think it's, it's inspired by the book of Job. Um, and we can see why that is. Uh, 
and you just you're on edge because you're thinking, well, he's done this now, and this is not what normally happens. What else is going to come come down the track? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it is a movie in which you know I kind of started from the standpoint of okay, I've got this crazy concept, you know, because it is a sci-fi movie, so we're dealing with the multiverse, and and really, it's not about saying, hey, everybody, the multiverse is real. You know, I I, I don't know, and I don't care if it is. But I love the idea of the multiverse in, in terms of how it, it, it makes us consider our choices. Because the idea of the multiverse is that every choice we make, there's somewhere out there, there in another reality, there's a person who made a different choice. And so, and I think we think about that in our lives all the time. What if I had made a different choice? And it's a wonderful life. We see what would have happened if George Bailey had never lived. In this movie, we see what would have happened if our Kevin uh, had followed the devil instead of rejecting him. And so we get to see how these choices stack up against each other and what the results are. And that's what's fascinating to me because so much of, uh, of faith is about cho choice. It's about choosing to follow God or choosing to follow something else. And, uh, and so it's, it's, this, it's this ripe opportunity for exploration um, of that theme within science fiction, which is something we haven't really seen a whole lot of. I can't think of another faith film that, that delves into science fiction as seriously as we do in this film. But that provides us with a story that is, yes, very unpredictable, even though it's inspired by the book of Job. And if you know that book, you're gonna know some of what's gonna happen in this film. I, I guarantee you, you're not going to be able to predict everything that happens. It's well. Let, let's tell people. You tell people what, as much as you'd like them to know about the film without any spoilers. Tell them because I'm. I want to tell them, but I'm actually worried that I might be spoiling the movie for them. So you're you're more experienced at this than I am. The movie follows Kevin Garner, and he's an ordinary dude with you know uh, his marriage isn't going so great, and his job isn't going so great. And he gets into a car accident and he wakes up. He's confronted with this mysterious stranger with otherworldly powers who calls himself the benefactor. And the benefactor is there to offer Kevin riches, fame, and, and, and whatever his heart desires. And all Kevin has to do is do what the benefactor tells him to do, which is some not so nice stuff. And Kevin rejects that offer. And as a consequence of that, he ends up trapped in a dark parallel tyrannical world and there he fights to get back to his world and back to his wife and the woman that he loves and 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 to fix their marriage um and so that's kind of that's kind of where the movie starts and where it goes from there um as we've talked about is is definitely a ride it's it's unpredictable i, I mean i couldn't recommend it enough to people it's uh it's 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 a it's a compelling movie um Tell us more about the connections with The Chosen, because I think a lot of our viewers will have watched The Chosen. Um, and uh, tell, tell, tell us more about the connections with The Chosen. Well, I was really inspired by The Chosen, like everybody else. When I, I re recognize The Chosen as a real sea change in how we can approach Christian and faith media. Uh, just tonally, The Chosen is so different from anything that's come before. And it really deals with it in a serious way. And so when it came time to put this movie together, I went after as many chosen people as I could. Uh, Dallas Jenkins, who is the creator of The Chosen, he's one of our executive producers. Justin Overlander was an associate producer on The Chosen. He's one of our producers as well. And then we have actors from The Chosen. Um, Elizabeth Tabish, who plays Mary Magdalene. She plays Molly, Kevin's wife. So she is one of the leads in this film. Uh, Paras Patel plays Matthew. He plays a character named Rajit, who is friendly, but also a little mysterious. And then in a cameo role, we have Jordan Walker Ross, who plays little James, and he plays uh, Kevin's boss in, in The Shift. Um, and it was, it was great to bring all of them into this world where they get to use their actual accents. So they're all getting to speak with their American accents, which is how they actually talk. And they're playing very, very different characters from what you're used to seeing. So it's, if you're a chosen fan, this movie's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, there's a, I mean, Dallas is a big friend of, a big friend of ours. Um, and uh, he's been on the podcast a number of times and uh, actually John Quinn, who's the editor, just to talk about our little chosen connection, John Quinn, who is the editor of Chosen, uh, edited our first movie, Gosnell. So, uh, and that's how they were, in fact, that's how Dallas, I think, and John connected was over Gosnell. And that's how John became the editor. Well, apart from the fact he's also a great editor, uh, was, was, was the reason he was chosen to edit The Chosen. So, um, so if you, I mean, if you like The Chosen, you'll love this, but don't go in expecting The Chosen. Is that a fair enough, uh, um, summary? 
Yeah, I mean, look, we're not aping The Chosen. The Chosen is a biblical story that takes place a couple thousand years ago. Uh, the Shift is a contemporary sci-fi thriller. So they're very different. But I think there's a humanity at the core of both The Shift and The Chosen that people are going to recognize. And uh, and yeah, we do have the Dallas Jenkins seal of approval. Dallas does not want to be an island unto himself. He does not want you know to be the only person who can create faith media that's challenging and exciting and, and, and is artistically, you know, uh, adventurous. And so, uh, so I very much, uh, have taken, uh, the, the challenge to heart of, of what he has laid before us. And, and I hope that this can be part of that conversation. No, no, you're right. Dallas does want, want, want to widen the audience. And I think Andrew Breitbart said that, you know, we've got to help other people out there because what we do is we don't, we're not all fighting for the same pie. We're trying, we want to widen the pie. Uh, want to widen the kind. Of, I think you're going to bring in people, and if people are put off. If people are put off by the idea that it's a dystopian science fiction, uh, you know, that people might think it's too modern. They have to remember, right? As we discussed, it's a wonderful life is a movie about multiverses. It is right. It is a multiverse it, movie. Yeah, it really. I is. mean, no one's ever said that before. I don't think, but it's a movie about multiverses. So, multiverse is not this new, not this modern phenomenon. Don't think that it's something that was invented by Spider-Man or something like that, or Marvel Comics. The, multi, the idea of the multiverse has been with Hollywood for as long as Hollywood's been around. So it's, don't, don't, I, I'm sorry if I may have kind of said it's this kind of outlier. It's not. It's it's part of actually mainstream Hollywood culture, and I, I think. No, if, it, look, the, the shift, I love Hollywood movies. There's some I really don't have any time for at all, and, and, and I won't watch because I want to keep my soul as you know, as clean as I can, but, but there's a lot that Hollywood does have to offer. They're the, some of the best storytellers on the planet are working in Hollywood. And the shift is a film that takes inspiration from, from the sci-fi uh, and, and, and the stories that I love that have come out of Hollywood, but it's also married to something that is more important to me than all of that. And that's my faith. You know, probably the most important thing I want to ask you about is uh, the name of the dog behind you, because I know our viewers will want to. Uh... <laughs> you can, oh, yeah. That's Baxter. He's a, a, a mini Labradoodle. We could talk more about the movie, but I want to talk about your your, your background, actually, your, your memoir, From Murder to Faith, uh, really. You know, uh, tell us a little about that and how that's influenced this movie as well. So the experiences in my life, as people can imagine, have have hugely influenced this movie. I've been th we've all we all pass through Job like moments, moments in time, usually sometimes long moments where things are very, very challenging. And uh, my memoir, uh, which is available uh, on Amazon and other places, um, is about when my when I was 12 years old, my father was uh, the victim of an armed robbery. He was shot 13 times and he lived. And, uh, and I got to see him conduct his life after that. I saw him not become bitter. I saw him not become angry at God. And I saw him forgive the men who had shot him. And that was an important example for me because eight years later, um, it repeated itself. Uh, he was the victim of a second armed robbery. And that time he was killed. And by this point, I was a young adult and I had had a bit of a faith journey but as you can imagine, when something that dark happens to you, there's, there's, it, it, it's, it, it was a very dark night. It was, it was, it conjured a lot of emotions. And one of those emotions, of course, was anger. I felt so much anger towards the men who had killed my father. It's not like it was an accident. People went in there with the intent to kill him and they did it. Um, but almost as soon as that anger welled up inside of me, it left. It just left entirely. It was gone. And it was replaced by empathy and it was replaced by love. And the reason for that is, is because I realized in that moment that what they had done to my father, taking his physical life, was not as bad as what they had done to themselves. They had committed a sin, the worst sin a person can commit, and they took away his life. And whether they knew it that night or not, and I'm sure that they didn't, um, but at some point there would be a realization of what they had done. I've sinned. I've, I've done things that I regret, and I know how bad that feels but I've never done anything to that magnitude. So I had this great outpouring of love and empathy for these guys. And I realized that they had done something horrible. They would eventually have to reckon with that. Um, and that they were children of God too. You know, they came to this life and I'm sure they didn't come wanting to kill anybody. And, uh, and at some point things went astray for them. And I don't know what those circumstances were, but I just, I just felt so much for them. And I, and I forgave them that, that very night I, I forgave them. 
And that forgiveness has never gone away. That anger has never returned. And I look at that experience and I see that as I got a glimpse, I think, I believe I got a glimpse into the love that the Savior has for each one of us. He loves us so much. He sacrificed himself. He suffered unimaginable pain for us. And that's the kind of love that he has even for these men who killed my father. And I got a glimpse of that. So that was a light that entered into my life. But if you think about that, and if you think about your own experiences, the, the dark times that you've had in your life, the times when you have reached out for that light, it's only through those dark times that we're able to receive light that shines that bright. Um, and so that's the shift. The shift is about passing through darkness so that we can behold the light and see how bright it truly, truly is. I've seen that in my own life in a very, very real way. And, and I've tried to put that into this movie, you know, even though this movie is a completely different story. I think it rounds up on that, on that same idea. The movie is called the shift. Um, it's from angel studios. Where, how can people see it at the moment? It's out in theaters. It's out in theaters. It uh, It is out in theaters currently in U.S. and Canada. It's going to be opening in the U.K. Uh, on December 15th. Uh, so it is going international. Um, but uh, yeah, in, in theaters. And that's really the best place to watch it. It is definitely a, a theater movie. It, it, you want that big screen. You want that big sound. Yeah. And how can people find out more information about it? Is there a website? Yeah. If you go to angel.com slash the shift, you can find out where the shift is playing near you and you can purchase tickets there. Um, and if you would like to help other people see the film who maybe don't have the means to do so, you can go to angel.com slash share the shift and you can pay it forward for people who, who don't have enough money or you can claim free tickets if that's something that you need. Yeah, well, that's very important. So angel.com share the shift. That's, I mean, on, we should have talked about that. The movie is crowdfunded, of course. Uh, which is, an am is amazing too, that uh, it's it's funded by ordinary people. We've done crowdfunding too ourselves. Uh, it's a great way to make a movie. It's a tough way to make a movie, but I suppose movie making is tough. But um, it uh, it gives you freedom too to, to, to tell the truth and not be beholden to single investors or, uh, or, or, or corporate interests that are not your own or values that are not your own. So Brock, thank you very much. Uh, the, sh the Shift movie, uh, angel.com. Uh, go and see it. Uh, please go and see it. It's it's. Uh, please bring your ch your your young teenage children to see it because I think they'll they'll get a lot out of it. And uh, it's a it's it's an updated. It's a wonderful life, and I think you'll enjoy it. Thank you, thank you, Brock. Thank you so much, fellow. Appreciate it. Bye. That's kind of come to the end. I know it's a bit of a rushed show today in a way because we're kind of we're still recovering a bit from the from the jet lag but yes. um, we don't forget if you, if you want to help us tell these stories go to unreported story society we'll tell you more com. about yeah we'll tell you more about the project in the next few weeks but we're planning the plan is to have a permanent memorial um, in art at artistically mm -hmm. memorializing the stories of the people who survived and the people who were heroic um, in October 7th um Yep, listen, That's the plan. we'll tell you then. We'll so tell you on reporterstorysociety.com. Thank Keep you. Keep in touch. Bye. Bye.